If you love toys and you want to make some Hey, that's not our usual song, but I'm Chris Byrne, and this is the Playground Podcast, and you're going to find out what that song is all about as we get going. Hey, Richard Gottlieb. Chris Byrne. <laughs> How you doing? Here we go again. Here we go again. we got a great show today. It, we do indeed. This is another episode of the Playground Podcast. I'm Chris Byrne. Richard Gottlieb is my co-host. And we are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, The Toy Guy, and Kid Stuff Public Relations. And today we've got something special, or I should say specialty, to talk about. <laughs> Bad jokes. <laughs> so we start with the dad jokes. Uh, but, but we are talking to Kimberly Mosley, who is the president of Astra, uh, the American Specialty Toy Retail Association, and Betty Burns, who owns Angelina's Toy Store. She is the on the board of directors for Astra, and she's an educational consultant, so it's a triple threat. We're going to have a really great conversation. Richard, start them off. Okay. Well, we, we are going to get into some of the special events that you're doing today, uh, but I, I think it would be uh, really interesting. I mean, I would like to learn uh, two things, in, 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 in primarily, in, in one... Uh, up until COVID, uh, how did the specialty industry handle the demise of Toys R Us? And then I'd like to know about after COVID-19, how are you guys doing? How, how is your community faring? Uh, so I, I think what, what I'd like to start with, if we could, is the, the big Toys R Us question. Now, what was the impact? Of that, especially toys. When we first heard about Toys R Us, um, the demise of Toys R Us, it was a pivotal moment, I think, for our industry, for the specialty side of the house. It was an opportunity for some of those toy stores that were in areas that were competing with Toys R Us to get new customers in the door. There's the reality that some Toys R Us customers were really bargain shoppers and not really as, con- as concerned about quality. Undoubtedly, there are a number of different types of customers that went to Toys R Us. Some of those customers were more about bargains, right? They were bargain hunters. They were looking for the lowest priced item, not necessarily good quality product. Um, and especially Toy Store is going to contain quality product. So not all of the toy Toys R Us customers were going to be pivoting to a specialty toy store because it's specialty toy store is going to contain quality product. But some of them did, some of them would, and some of them did. And a number of our toy stores did take advantage of some of the marketing and, and PR pushes that we were doing to make sure that the public knew that just because Toys R Us closed did not mean that the magic stopped. The magic still existed in their local neighborhood toy store. Well, you said something that I just think very, very, very important and I had heard anybody talk about it before, is that notion that maybe a, a certain percentage of the Toys R Us shopper was not a toy store shopper. They, they weren't going there for the experience. And, and maybe that says something about Toys R Us that it had come to that point. Mm-hmm. Do you have any kind of sense of what percentage of the shoppers were, were that type of shopper? I do know that we've got some good uh, data and some good anecdotal information from our retailers about folks coming in the door and saying, wow, I didn't even know you were here. And it turned out that store, Toy Story had been there for 20 years, like <laughs> knew that new folks were walking through the door. I've heard some of those stories and I've heard stories about, especially in the COVID-19 and around Easter, I've heard stories about, especially in the COVID-19 and around Easter, some of the things that some of the specialty toy retailers did 
in order to make it easier for consumers, whether they would put together Easter baskets or they really did step up and become a service in their communities. Absolutely. And that is one of the nice things about these local retailers, that they are very tied to the community. Often they know their customers. They know the folks that are walking through their door. They've seen those kids growing up, right, from uh, being in the stroller to picking toys off the shelf. So, yes, they were able to pivot. Uh, many of them are leveraging social media to let their community know that we're still here. We're still here to serve you. They're doing local deliveries. They're doing curbside pickups even before some of the states were opening, uh, opening up the rules a little bit and letting some of the doors open. And in addition to that, they were ramping up their online sales. It's certainly been exciting to see this level of innovation. Uh, Betty, you were going to add something. For me, I, um, I heard Kim say that the magic still existed. And for me, as a specialty uh, retailer, I kind of would like to argue that there is really not the same magic as the magic that has always existed in a specialty retail store. And for me, you just, Toys R Us isn't the same experience as as the experience of the magic of the specialty toy store. It's about a caring community. It's about relationships. It's about being community-minded. It's about um, the education piece and knowing your stuff and and selling something of quality that, and you take pride and great care in the relationship and the customer experience. And it, it, it is something very different. And I'm Canadian, so for me, Toys R Us still does exist. But right. <laughs> there is no, for me, there is really no comparison. So um, that's kind of my thoughts on Well, this. the Toy Store experience is an important rite of passage. I think when we had Toys R Us, I said at the time that I thought they were like a big tree that was hollow, but that had a lot of branches. And so the sunlight didn't get through. And so a lot of these true toy stores didn't get a chance to grow. So my question is, have we seen growth prior to COVID? Not specific to Toys R Us, but yes, we do. We have seen more folks opening stores. We have seen folks opening additional stores at the heels of other stores closing and Toys R Us closing. So yes, that was happening is still happening in spite of COVID. You know, our members are pivoting to other delivery options for other uh, ways of, of doing their business. So before COVID and in spite of COVID, um, yes, toy stores are still here and they're still going strong. One of the things I always say about technology is don't stress about it. You learn it when you need to. And oh, yeah. that's certainly been something we've seen with the specialty toy retailers. They might have had a website before that was a landing page, you know, with their hours on it, okay. if they were lucky. And maybe, maybe a picture, maybe a picture. <laughs> but, but I've certainly heard, uh, again, anecdotally of the need for a lot of these stores to ramp up and have more of a presence online as well. And that's expanded their business. How, how have you seen that happening within your membership? If there is a silver lining to all of this, I think that might be the silver lining. This reality that um, the situation pushed folks to really ramp up their online presence and really ramp up their knowledge of, I, I agree with you, Chris, this, the, the business of you learn it when you need to learn it. And, and it's there now. So no matter what this looks like on the other side, because we know there's going to be a new normal, but no matter what this looks like on the other side, we now have more retailers that have, the, have those skills and have that knowledge and have an ability to, to better, to serve their community even better. Uh, I, I have a, a Betty Burr's question. 
share with us your personal experience uh, sure. with the with the COVID-19. Yeah, my personal experience with COVID-19 was exactly that. I had to make some quick decisions and some quick problem-solving decisions very, very quickly. And that question about technology is a prime example. So all of a sudden, my store went to being a flourishing, bustling business on the corner of Front Main Street, downtown Whitehorse, where we relied on a lot of foot traffic and, of course, the relationships and the continued visitors that we saw every day and, and seeing the children and the relationships with families to all of a sudden closing our doors and having to pivot and decide how are we going to serve and keep ourselves uh, relevant and open. And so for me, um, two weeks in March, we hunkered down, myself, my staff, and we did. We created a website and a web store, and we always had a bit of a website, but not a web store. It was something that I'd been meaning to do for, I mean, many years. I've been in business for 13 years since I started Angelina's. And to be honest, I don't know what took me so long to do it. Probably just I needed that push that I needed to do it. And really, in the end, I am really thankful for, for the opportunity to, to grow my business in a different way and see things in a different way. I since have reopened my doors and we're in a different stage of COVID here now where there's lots of good measures in place. And, and I'm sure we'll go in and out of um, how I'm able to do business in person. But now I have a, a web store and, and I am so excited to see how that helps me in the fourth quarter and what it means for the future of Angelina's. I, I, I'm very thankful that uh, for many of the things that I learned through this, it, it's always a learning opportunity. I'm curious about what you see as the back half of the year. Kim, what are your members projecting as they look into the, the last half of the year and into the holiday season? What are, what are some of their key concerns? If only we all had that crystal ball. <laughs> could see into the future. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I, I think that's what's so frustrating and scary and anxiety producing about this whole situation is that it is so unclear and it's so fluid and it changes so much in a short period of time. So our members are, of course, dealing with that like everyone else is. Um, some of their concerns are about um, the different states and how there are you know, different spikes in different states, how maybe some states the doors might have to close again and we might have to be back in shelter, shelter at home, but other states maybe would be open. So those are some of the concerns. Uh, also inventory. So even as some of those states open or close or shut down business, um, that's going to impact uh, distribution. That's going to impact what's going to be able to come into the country. Um, so inventory is, is another concern. Also, they're thinking about how much inventory do I need and what do I need to put in inventory in light of changing interest. The, the kinds of products that people are looking for are, are different than maybe they would have been uh, prior to COVID-19. People having less money. I mean, we are in a in a depression, so people maybe just don't have uh, as much income for buying toys and games. The question of how much inventory and what kind of inventory and how many delays might I have to concern myself with? Will I be able to get product? How much product will I be able to get? These are all some of the questions 
that if only we all had a, a crystal ball, we could look in there and see exactly how to answer those questions. One of the things I think that the specialty toy retailers do very well is provide a resource for parents. And one of the things I've been talking to a lot of parents about as they worry about having to have school at home again, and they're, they're afraid about going back to school, is how do they deliver play experiences that are engaging and interesting and learning-based, but not schoolwork? This is a question for Betty. How do you advise parents and guide them when they come to you for help? I think that there's a big distinction of being um, homeschooling your child versus facilitating learning. And I think as parents, we're facilitating learning all the time. Every experience is a learning experience. And I think we have to um, take a moment and take a deep breath and relax a little bit as parents and realize that take the fun, keep the fun in the learning. So for me, it's about the outdoor play and about the outside scavenger hunt and finding something new in nature and that wellness piece of ensuring that kids aren't always on screens and iPads and apps. It's about cooking with your children and measuring the ingredients and reading the bedtime story and making connections and allowing kids to see, tell them stories about your life when you were little and connect it to the book that you're reading. It's a really awesome opportunity for kids to rediscover and us as a society to really rediscover that play is learning. And that's how kids learn best. It's by experience. It's about play. It's, it's not necessarily at a desk with a pencil and a paper or with an, um, an iPad and an app. It's really about the things we do and the experiences that we have. What you're saying is so important. Thank you, Betty. We are going to take a quick break with a message from Kid Stuff Public Relations. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the exciting event from Astra that's coming up very soon. Stay tuned. The Playground Podcast is brought to you in part by Kid Stuff PR. And Lisa Orman brings us PR insights. Lisa, you've got something to say about expanded media lists? I'm an avid reader of traditional news, papers like the Washington Post and New York Times. In ordinary times, they aren't a big part of our media list, but during these times, we've been lucky to notice these folks and start pitching them, which normally we never would, but here they are, they need our help, and they're very happy to have it. And you can hear my entire conversation with Lisa at kidstuffpr.com. And we're back. This is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne, and my co-host, Richard Gottlieb. And we are talking with Kimberly Mosley, who is the president of Astra, and Betty Burns, who's on the board. And Richard, they've got a big event coming up. Take it away. Kim, you've got a big event coming up, Astra Camp. Unfortunately, we did have to cancel our face-to-face meeting, which is usually in June. Uh, we were going to be in Orlando this year. We were really looking forward to a relationship with Universal Studios. We were going to have a great party there. But uh, COVID-19 uh, put that on hold. Astra pivoted, as so many of our uh, members are pivoting. We did too. And we're looking, we looked at a way to put together an offering for our members, for our community, um, that would give people an opportunity to have some of that education, which is so important which is an important part of Marketplace and Academy, um, have the trade show experience uh, that could facilitate business and have some of that social because we are a creative community. Um, Astra members are, are collegial and are friends. And we wanted to make sure that whatever we did virtually, 
would re be reflective of that. So that is how Astra Camp was born. It is an opportunity for us to present to our members um, and our community those three things in a virtual manner. So for me, Astra Camp is really about a total experience and it's themed and, and modeled around a real summer camp experience. And so really that's what we are trying to do as retailers too, is, is provide that customer experience. So really we're kind of modeling exactly what, what's important in our stores and it invites basically the specialty toy industry and anybody else who wants to come along to camp to answer basically a call of adventure to come discover new products and to connect with fellow campers. It's about relationships. It's about education. Um, but really, it's about the camp experience. And once it's set in that we weren't going to be able to have Astra Marketplace and Academy or in Orlando, basically the Astra board started talking about the possibility of doing a virtual trade show. And we started to brainstorm about what makes us for special and it really comes down to community and we wanted to develop some sort of an opportunity to really strengthen our community at this time at one point i think i just said oh we should have camp summer camp and honestly it just opened up like a pandora's box of crazy brainstorming and amazing ideas i've never seen so much enthusiasm or momentum or excitement around uh, an idea. Speaking about community of Astra, really Astra Camp, this experience was created by the community. We had over 40 volunteer members that joined us to create Astra Camp. And I must say, of course, a lot of that along with our amazing hardworking staff, but really I've never seen such a movement of, of people come together to create something in such a short amount of time and something so fun and totally awesome. What's the platform going to be like? Some of these virtual events have been a little bit complicated, but you have to take a step back and go, you had four months to do it. I mean, and it's, it's really to transform an entire way of communicating and delivering communication in four months. So it's really impressive. What is the structure of it and what can people expect to see when they sign in? So um, it is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of the first two weeks of August. We have education in the morning, virtual education in the morning that's being delivered through Zoom. And we have what we're calling camper huddles, which are connections between buyers and sellers, between exhibitors, and uh, retailers. Those are happening all day long and those are being facilitated through Zoom. And then in the evening, we have different social events that are going on. Um, scary customer stories. Um, <laughs> I want to be part of that one. There I want to hear that one. <laughs> oh, um, we've got a lip sync battle that we're calling the toy sync battle, but a lip sync <laughs> battle. And that's those are being facilitated through, through Zoom in many cases. We're also using um, our website for um, sharing information. Um, we've got each exhibitor, we call them uh, campers. Uh, each one of those campers has their own campsite <laughs> and their campsite has information like their show specials, uh, the times that you can connect with them, how to place an order, et cetera. So each one of the uh, campsites is out there. Those campsites also contain product videos. So. Um, a buyer can go to any one of those campsites, watch the videos and place an order right away. And we, we've gotten feedback that folks have started doing that even before camp starts next week. In addition to that, we're also facilitating Facebook. 
So we've got a really great Facebook group going on uh, all around camp. Technology-wise, because you started off asking about technology, I was just going to say, like, we might not be the fanciest kid on the block when it comes to maybe a virtual trade show, like, technology-wise, but I would argue to say that we're definitely the most fun, and we're totally an incredibly inclusive community and very innovative. And if you're into toys, you definitely want to check it out. It's not just a trade show. And like Kim said, there's three components to, ha to camp. And basically we created a map of the camp and you can click on different areas of the camp that take you to different places. So we have an exhibitor expedition. You click on there and you can go into different campsites of our exhibitors. The second part would be our adventure academy. And that is where our education pieces are held. And we have a social lodge for the camp and it is already all a bustle. Basically it's here that our imaginations have really taken over. It's really unmatched in terms of a full-fledged camp experience. Well, we're gonna have to really watch what you're doing very carefully. Uh, you know, Chris and I have talked about, and I've written about that we think uh, to the great degree, virtual shows have, have really been a challenge. I've written in a headline, they're boring. There is, I don't think their commitment is there on the part of those who go to it. I mean, if I'm going to go away to a show, i got to get on an airplane. I've got to decide to go. I've got to get a hotel. When I get there, I'm a best, and I want to get as much out of it as I can. Having said that, I think Astra is very different than most other associations in that. I think you do have a community. I think that your approach can work very well with a community. I think, of course, the challenges are technology. And as Chris alluded to in the beginning, we're still finding our way. So we really wish you a lot of luck with this. And I think one of the things that's been so interesting about going to these virtual events is one feels very lonely or, or I felt very lonely yeah. going through them. So I'd go in and I'd see a Zoom room and I'd see friends of mine and they're presenting products and boom, they're gone. And then I'm back. I'm back at my desk. What's missing from these, even though I can find out great product information and all of the stuff I need, is that sense of the energy of the industry that you get when you walk around a trade show. And that you can, even if I don't stop at every booth, I can see what people are doing. And I get a, you get a sense of the, the zeitgeist, if you will, of what's going on. And, and that's been missing. But it sounds like you're, you're really moving towards that level of connection where people can connect not in the zoom but on facebook and it really does seem like a, a a wonderful and innovative program for me the success of this show really in my own personal thoughts would be the the meaningful ways in which we really strengthen our community it's really about building and fostering those relationships and and that's the heart of camp any camp if you attended summer camp as a child it's really about those experiences and those relationships and those lifelong feelings that you you leave with and facilitating that connected connectedness and like reinvigorating a playful spirit for people in a time when people have really experienced uncertainty and it's Astra has always been about facilitating relationships but this is a really innovative way for us to be building new ones and strengthening the ones we already have so many benefits that I didn't really realize to be honest like in the last couple of days I've been going through the campsites and laying in bed with my laptop with my children. I have three children and I've been having absolutely the best time watching the exhibitor campsite videos and just watching my kids giving feedback on the products that they're seeing. I would never have realized how beneficial that would be to have my kids help me 
vet toys or show me the excitement. And I learned actually a lot about my own children in terms of where <laughs> they are and their own thoughts of toys. I'm also really excited because for the first time I can take my whole team, my whole team, all the way from Yukon, Canada. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to bring my team to Orlando. And all seven members of my staff are going to attend camp. And they're really, really thrilled to be able to do so. They're seeing new products. They're helping me choose new products for the store. And really for employee engagement, for them to be able to see the people that they are talking to on the phone or emailing every day, and for them to be able to build relationships in a totally different way in this time of COVID, I'm seeing myself as an employer being able to engage my staff in something pretty awesome. There is so much happening at Astra Camp. Where can people go to find out all of the rich content that you guys are doing? So you can go to astracamp.org um, to register, to become a, a registrant, uh, to be able to attend Astra Camp is $49. It's a nominal fee. So go to astracamp.org. Chris, we even got a song. Can you roll that in? Absolutely. Oh, summertime is here and all our friends are near. Cause we're hanging out together online. Nah, I'm all zoomed out. But it's not Facebook, it's not Insta, it's not YouTube till you snore. Cause we've got trade shows and campfires and so much more. Show off your toys, social hours, lip sync battles, not for little girls and boys. Well, we don't usually have musical interludes on the Playground podcast, but that song is by Josh Schreiber, who has been a guest with us of Jammin' With You. And Richard, you are going to continue with Kim. Kim, you are an uh, African-American uh, woman. You are the head of Astra Toy. I think that makes you the most prominent African-American in the toy industry. And I'm really interested in your perspective on this industry. Where are we going? Where do we need to be? And how do we get there? Yeah, those are really great questions, Richard. <laughs> and um, what a what a difficult and wonderful time we live in right now. That's that's going that's the way I'm going to phrase it. Um, you know, I'm old enough to have gray hair. These are real gray hairs. We all, I think, remember the '60s and remember the race riots and remember how difficult that time was, but how that really moved the needle. You know, change. Hap sometimes happens easily and sometimes it happens with great difficulty. So I think we're at a time right now where young people are ready to move the needle and I applaud them. I know it's not easy, but I applaud that there is new energy behind racial disparities and um, race, social injustices and better as, as a country, us doing better around um, representation for people of color, including African-Americans. So now as it relates to the toy industry, it's almost like, yes, I could relate it to the toy industry, but it's not just the toy industry. There's so, so much work that needs to be done across many, many industries. The toy industry is just one. 
there's opportunities. I know that the Toy Association has been doing some work and Astra, our organization is also going to be doing some work around diversity, equity, and inclusion that includes education and training and um, opportunities for our members to get better information around um, everything from terminologies to policies and procedure improvements. Um, but there's just so much work to be done and it, it really is, it, it's a great time in our country to see those changes happen. I, th I think this is also a time where, as you said, people want to do that work. Certainly we've all had to do a lot of interior examination in, in the past months and year. Um, and it's, it's, it's exciting. I hope, I hope it's exciting. I get, I get excited about the, the possibility. I call it glorious chaos. Betty Burns, uh, board of directors of Astra, owner of Angelina's toy store and an educational consultant. And of course, Kim Mosley, president of Astra. Thank you both so much for being with us today. And we can't wait to go to camp. And this is the part of the show that we like to call the end cap, where Richard and I throw around a couple of ideas, maybe agree, maybe disagree, but certainly bring things up. And Richard, you're no longer in the present. What's up with that? I live in the future, as does <laughs> I think just about everybody else who works in the toy industry. And well, let me explain that. Please do. First of all, our industry in its very essence is about the future because the toys we give children to play with today really has a huge impact on the adults they become. Agreed. Of their educational choices, their professional choices. And it occurred to me, their romantic choices. You know, Chris, I was thinking, we give girls Barbie dolls, and we give boys G.I. Joe and Transformers, and then we expect them to get along. That's where Mars and, and, and Venus come from. <laughs> right. You know? So the industry in itself is a future-oriented industry. But then our work is future-oriented. You know, Chris, I, I'm sure you when, you, when you go on a television show uh, and you talk about toys, you're talking about what's coming several months out. Very often, yeah. Yes. Uh, when, when we do our work at Global Toy Experts, we, we are trying to shape an outcome that may not come for months or years. And, and when, a, when a toy buyer buys a product, they're not buying typically for today. They're buying for months and months out. And God bless inventors who sometimes it can take a decade before what they've created comes to fruition. So I, I think that we as an industry don't live in the present. We live in the future. And we're always trying to anticipate what is going to tickle the fancy of an eight-year-old or a four-year-old. I always say, you know, this is not a business for the faint of heart because you're putting your entire financial future in the hands of the whims of a seven-year-old. <laughs> and those are changeable. <laughs> yeah, it's very frightening when you put it that way. Thank you. <laughs> so, so I just think it's interesting because not all industries live in the future. I mean, if, if, if I'm an airplane pilot, I'm pretty much trying to get my plane from A to, to B. You know, if I'm a mechanic, I'm trying to fix what's in front of me right now. And so I think this future orientation creates, it, it requires that you be an optimist because it means that you have to believe there is a future and that, and that it's malleable, that, that you can shape it. I have from my days at CBS Toys, and they were actually throwing it out, the original instruction book from the original erector set. 
and I saved that from a dumpster when we were all getting when we were all getting laid off from CBS back in 1985. And you opened it up, and it just says, "Hey boys," and it's all about building the city of the future. And it really was. You are you are boys today, and here you go. Right. We're going to look at what you're going to do in the future. So I, I definitely think you've got a great point in that. And certainly Barbie play is aspirational. It's about what do I want to become? And Barbie in 1959 had two choices. She could be a teenage fashion model or a bride. Uh, she's had many more options in the last 60 years. <laughs> yeah. But it's still about that, at, not just for us as an industry, it, but also for children, what do I want to become or what am I looking forward to in the future? So anyway, as a fellow person who lives in the future, I look forward to seeing you in the future. <laughs> I'll see you further in the future when we're looking even further down the road. And I'm and <laughs> so I left my DeLorean at the curb, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go get into that. I stole it. <laughs> you stole it. <laughs> anyway, uh, interesting thought. Interesting thought, and I think it's part of the thing that keeps people up at night because you don't just do a job and go home. You try to think of what a kid's gonna love six or eight months from now, or even two years from now. And that's what keeps you up at night. But that's also what makes it exciting. And certainly we hope you found this episode of the Playground Podcast exciting. I'm Chris Byrne. I'm here with Richard Gottlieb. We are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, Kid Stuff Public Relations, and The Toy Guy. Tune in next time for our next future-oriented adventure. Bye-bye.